God is going to do great things as we hear the preaching of his word, as we pray, and as we sing his praises this morning. Welcome. We are glad that you are here. And we are here to do this, to worship together as the body of Christ. And so what does it mean to worship? Paul says in Romans 12, he says, I urge you therefore, brothers, to offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, for it is your spiritual act of worship. So that's what we're here to do. And that's something that we don't just do on Sunday morning, but we should do every day. And our call to worship this morning is gonna be from Psalm 5. And Psalm 5 is a verse that rocked my world about six months ago as I was beginning to spend time in prayer through the Psalms. And it's often called the Psalm of the Morning. And so I, I took this prayer and I prayed Psalm 5 verses 1 through 3 every day for the next few months. And then I ended up writing a short song based on Psalm 3. And so this morning I want to share that with you and I want this to be a time where you can picture this, this altar before the Lord. And you can come and you can lay all your burdens on him. You can lay all your anxieties, you can lay all your hopes and all your fears and all your doubts. And we can watch for what God's going to do. And we can look to him as our deliverer. We can look to him as our help. And as we walk through this Joshua series, we're gonna see that God is faithful and that God is true. So this morning, I invite you to take in this psalm, spend time in prayer to the Lord. Let this be your invitation to stand at attention to the living and true God this morning. Be magnified, let his 
How you doing? Good. It's great to see all of you. Welcome to you. Welcome to those of you who are worshiping with us online. It's great to have you with us as well. Well, as you know, the QR code is there, and by now you know what to do. Hold your phone up there and pop it up, and you can get all the fellowship news. I feel like everybody's taking my picture right now. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, great to be in this service this morning. And we got our own boy band. El Devo. It's them right there. Well, hey, got a few things to tell you about this morning. We're really excited. We're excited to see the COVID cases and infections going down. We're ready for this, all this to be over. And so in my daily prayers, I just ask God, kill COVID. I want it to be done so that we can get back to some semblance of normal. But uh, just a few things to announce to you this morning. Uh, we are, are going to be putting more chairs here in the worship center. We already have put a few more, especially for this 930 hour so that you don't have to go to overflow. Uh, but we have more chairs in and moving back to more of a, a two spaces between parties. And we're going to attempt to resume children's services on March the 7th. Okay, that's a month away. We're excited about that, too. 
We're watching carefully the hospitalizations and death numbers. Cases are dependent on testing and all that. So we really don't go by those numbers, but we track Benton, Washington County specifically. And uh, we're seeing those numbers go down, down, down. And with all the vaccines and all this happening, we're praying that we'll be able to come back to children's services. And so we are preparing for that. And I know this, if the numbers start back up, we will pivot for your safety and the safety of our staff. We're going to pivot and we're going to watch it closely. So keep that in mind as we move in that direction. And here's what I want you to know. When we bring our children back, we're going to need more leaders. Because we're going to space them out more, all that, we're going to need more people willing to help out. And so if you can volunteer as a leader, please give us a call. Let us know. Talk to our folks out in the foyer. They can get your name, your name but uh, we, we need help with that. And as always, when you are in our buildings, we ask that you wear a mask over your mouth and your nose out of respect for others. Uh, watch your distance. Uh, wash your hands. All those things that uh, we're hearing about on a regular basis. And let's keep one another safe. A couple of things to thank you for today. Uh, Three things to thank you for. Number one is thank you for your generosity to the gift. Uh, this year, even during COVID, you gave over $565,000 to the gift. And we were able to help ministries locally, regionally, and globally. I wish I could tell you about all the global uh, uh, initiatives that we were able to be a part of and help. Brian Pope, when he found out what the elders had released last weekend for the global ministries, he said, he sent me a message. He said, I've got tears in my eyes as I see the significance of uh, the generosity of the body of fellowship. And so thank you for your donations to the gift. And then I want to say thank you for participating in the elder nomination process. Last weekend, the elders were able to, we had our retreat last weekend. We have an old man's retreat. We don't go anywhere. We just do it here uh, and then go home and sleep in our own beds. Uh, but we had a retreat. We're going to call it that. And uh, we were able to work through all the nominations as we've been praying over those for months. And uh, we'll have three new candidates to introduce to you next week. Uh, and then you'll have one more thing to do, but I'll wait next week and you can find out about that. But thank you so much for participating in praying for our elders. And then with Fellowship Bentonville, we have some pretty exciting news about that. That's that uh, blank field where we started. And, and let's just watch the growth here for a moment. And uh, if you haven't been out there, you can see it's taking shape. And this is what it'll look like at night. Uh, from I-49, and uh, I think we have another shot of that. There's another one. Isn't that beautiful? And then another shot of what it looked like in daytime. So uh, it's coming together, and I can tell you, yes. Just a couple of things about that. Uh, we will be able to open the doors to that campus uh, in the first quarter of next year. All right. In the first quarter of next year, we've been given assurance that they're going to be able to open those doors, give or take six months. Okay. <laughs> Either side. No, really, really. At least by Easter, we will be in there. And so I encourage you, uh, number one, let's keep giving toward this. We haven't paid a dime of interest on it so far. On all the construction we've been able to do, we haven't paid a dime of interest because your giving has stayed ahead of the construction. And right now, we feel like we'll be able to stay ahead into at least June, July, August, maybe even November with what we have, the cash we have in hand. And it's all because of your generosity. And we can't thank you enough for helping out with that, for your diligence. You can go in there and fellowshipbenville.org and set up recurring gifts. And everyone participating, we can make a huge difference. And why are we doing this? So we can reach more people for Christ. That's the goal. That's the goal. We want to reach more people, and God has opened the door for us to do that. So we can't thank you enough for your generosity in that. You know, today, it's a good reminder as we come to Joshua chapter 3 that we aren't just to hold our ground while we're here. We are to take new ground. And that's why we, what we find in Joshua chapter 3. They were taking new ground as the Lord had directed them. And we have a biblical mandate to grow as a church. Not just hold what you got. We have a biblical mandate to grow. With the, with the great commandment, the great commission, we are to love God, love others, and we are to make disciples. And in order to do that, we've got to reach more people. And so I want you to just set your mind in that direction as we plan for this hour today. Let me pray for you. 
Oh God, there are so many distractions and disappointments and frustrations in this world. And for this hour, just help us to toss all that outside. And Lord, let our minds be focused on you for a moment and be reminded that you are the living God, our great God and King. In order for us to, Lord, know you more, we've got to just get focused on you and realize that you can do amazing things among us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. us. Let's continue to sing that together. Holy is our God.
sing the gospel message together this morning. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean we're singing Psalm 72.
Last week, Kyle had the opportunity to teach us a new song. And I, I was sitting in the eight o'clock service last week with my seven-year-old son and just hearing these words wash over us was a powerful thing to be reminded that the battle belongs to the Lord, that our God is a mighty fortress and that we can trust in him, that we can lift our eyes to the hills. That's where our help comes from. And that's my prayer that I would remember that in my life, but that's also my prayer for my son as I got to worship with him last week and prayer for family and my prayer for all of us this morning, that we can be reminded of this truth. And so I wanna teach the bridge and the chorus to you again. And if you've picked it up, feel free to join with us. But let's be reminded of this truth together. We sing. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power Would you remind us of that truth as we walk through the book of Joshua? God, would your spirit reveal to us the things that you would have us to learn how to trust, how to obey, how to walk by your spirit, and how to rest in your will and in your faithfulness for us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Joshua stood at the water's edge. We have Mike there. Hello? Joshua stood at the water's edge. Have you ever stood at the water's edge of a difficult situation? Is our mic working here? No? Yes, no? Should I just shout? Have you ever stood at the water's edge of a difficult situation? And just wave at me if you get the other one working. <laughs> of a difficult situation, wondering how you were going to get across, wondering what you were going to do. Oftentimes, I start trying to figure out what I'm going to do rather than waiting on God. Can anyone else relate to that? Yeah. Hands going up all over the room. But God can do amazing things among us. Candy, if we will only wait for him and call on him, he can do amazing things among us. As I thought back over my 40 plus years of vocational ministry now, I thought about all the times when I've seen God do amazing things. 
And I thought about one particular instance uh, back in 1982. I took a group of 55 chaperones and, and students to Washington, D.C. I was doing student ministry and music back then. And I wanted them to see how God's name is carved all over our nation's capital. And so we took the group and we did some programs and sang and then we uh, toured the monuments and memorials and you brought me something else here. Thanks, I'm not tired anymore. That Russell's a great guy, isn't he? Yeah, thank you, sir. Is this one working yet by any chance? It's not working. Uh, <clears throat> but we were touring the monuments and all that stuff. And, and we had gone to Washington, D.C. with that 55 on a bus. Uh, we, had, we had a bus and uh, a, a, an orange Dodge van pulling a Jartran trailer. And we were at the Mon Washington Monument. I wanted the kids to look out of the Washington Monument over the city. And... Uh, <clears throat> We got back to the hotel about midnight, and sometime between midnight and the next morning, someone stole our van and trailer. Gone. And uh, there are people down in Hot Springs who are adults now. They're older now, but they were kids back then who have pictures in their albums of me sitting in a police car. They were taking pictures. They love their leader being in a police car. <clears throat> Well, didn't know what we were going to do. We, we had to have that trailer because that's what carried all of our luggage. And we just figured whoever stole it thought they were going to get sound equipment or something like that out of the trailer. Late that night, the police called and said they had found our van. The ignition had been punched out, uh, but it was drivable and we could get it fixed and we'd be fine. But there was no trailer. And I said, we've got to have a trailer. So I was a phone, on the phone that night. little bit of cash, you know. So we were really in a, in a bad spot. So the next morning, we were going to leave at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Still nothing to put our luggage in. So I told the kids, just bring your luggage down to my room, and during the day, I'll figure out how to get the luggage back. While I was telling them that, a couple of our chaperones, we were in the D.C. area. We stayed in Bowie, Maryland, and they drove to Chevy Chase, Maryland, about a half hour away, to a Dodge dealership to get the van fixed. Well, they walked across the street to a service station to get a cup of coffee. And while they were there, they started telling the owner of the service station about what had happened to us. And he said, he asked them a question, uh, what kind of trailer was it? And they said it was a jar train trailer. And he said, well, how big was it? They told him. And he looked at one of them and he said, man, I've got your trailer. He said, you've got a trailer we can borrow? He said, no, 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 I've got your trailer. And they said, what do you mean? He said, night before last, somebody dumped a trailer. I live, I live outside of town, and somebody dumped a trailer on the road that leads up to my house, and I just hooked it up and pulled it up into my front yard, wondering what I was going to do with it. I've got your trailer. You get your van fixed and come out to my house, and we'll hook up your trailer. When they drove up to the hotel with that trailer and told me that story, I couldn't believe it. It, it. it was one of those amazing things. But we had prayed for the person who had stolen that. We had prayed that God would provide. And in that moment when I had chills on the back of my neck, God leaned down and said, I'm here. I'm here. And you've had those moments in your life when God has said to you, I'm here. I'm listening. Watch me work. And that's where Joshua was. Standing at the edge of that swollen river with those two million behind him and the swollen river before him. Needing God to do an amazing thing in their midst. Well, let's think about the history just a little bit. All right? The history. Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. 
God had promised them the gift of a land that would be their own. And then Joseph, Jacob's son, was sold into slavery. But later on, he would become the prime minister of Egypt. But Joseph would die, and then the people were enslaved for 400 years. And during that time, they cried out to God, How long, O Lord, how long? And God heard their cries, and he sent Moses to them, and Moses delivered them. And about 1446 B.C., right around in there, he delivered them. We know about the Exodus. And God did amazing things among his people. The ten plagues. The parting of the Red Sea. God did amazing things among them. And yet, and still, even after they saw all those amazing things he did, they disobeyed him. They grumbled. To the point that he was ready to kill them. And if you look in Numbers chapter 14, it says this. Moses had begged God not to kill all of them. He was done with them. But the Lord said, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And during that time, everyone who was over the age of 20 at the time of the Exodus died in the wilderness. They would not see the promised land. And now God has brought them to this place about to enter the land under the leadership of Joshua. And God's chosen people were assigned the task of executing the holy judgment of God and clearing the land of its inhabitants. Why? It's important that we know the answer to this. They were to clear the land because the Canaanites had defiled the land, even the land, in such a way with their gross, perverted practices that even the land was defiled. Look at Leviticus 18. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt. Where you've come from, you're not going to act like they did. And where you're going, you must not do like they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. And he goes on in Leviticus 18. I'm not going to read it to you because we have children in the room. But you can read it for yourself. This is how they lived. It was debased, perverted practices. Detestable in the eyes of God. In the land that he intended to gift to his people. Verse 24, do not defile yourselves in any of these ways because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled. No longer fit to be a gift for his people. So I punished it for its sin and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native born and the foreigners residing among you must do not do any of these detestable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you. And the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. I didn't mean to bring up vomit so many times this morning. But those are God's words, not mine. He warns them that they are not to act like that. Why? Because they are to be his image bearers in the land. They are to be his light so that the world would see the living God through him. That was his intent. And so now I finally get to Joshua 3. Let's look at Joshua chapter 3 and verse 1. Early in the morning, feel the anticipation, the excitement. They're about to enter the land. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Now let's look at the map of where this is. This is the general area. And now here's a circle of the place of crossing. 
That's, that's literally what it's called. It's a place called Beth Barah. It's the place of crossing. This is where the Israelites would cross over the Jordan River. You see the Jordan River snaking down there to the Dead Sea. It's the place where Elijah would pass the mantle to Elisha, and they would cross over on dry ground. This is the place where Jesus would be baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. It's a significant place. I have a picture of it for you here. Uh, That's the Jordan River. Now, it may not look like much to you now, but at flood stage, it's up to a mile and a half wide. It's a rushing river. You see, you've got, this is the Jordan Rift Valley. It's a part of the Great Rift Valley that stretches all the way from Lebanon down to South Africa. And and on either side of the Jordan River, you have hills and fords uh, that that lead down to the river. And when you have the melting snows of of the Mount Hermon Range, and you have the Spring Range, and you have Jerusalem setting uh, 1,200 feet above sea level, and you have down to the Dead Sea, where it's just south of this, uh, you have the Dead Sea, which is 1,200 feet below sea level, like this, those rains and those melting snows, they just gush down through those, through those fords and through those mountains. And they all land right there in the Jordan River, and it's swollen. Think of the Colorado River and the Grand Canyon. That's the closest thing I can associate it with. Think about those rapids. And that's what this became. And that's what they had to cross. This was a daunting task that only God could do. Now, we'd love to take you there. Nick's going to be taking a group in November of this year. Need to hurry up on that one if you want to be a part of that trip. I'll be taking a group in 2022, and Sam will be taking a group in 2023. We'd like to take people over there every year so you can walk where Jesus walked and see places like Beth Bara. It changes the way you read the Bible. Just let us know. We'll get you on a communication list. Verse 2, after three days, the officers went through the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant... What did the Ark of the Covenant represent? The presence of God. Thank you very much. The Ark Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God among the people. It contained three things. It, It contained the holy tablets of the law. It contained Aaron's rod that budded. And it contained a jar of manna. It represented God's presence. And it was to be reverenced before the people. You'll read in Samuel later on when Uzzah did not reverence Uh, the ark of God. It had been in his father's house and and maybe he was a little bit too familiar. And the, the, The ox stumbled and he reached up and touched the ark to steady it and he died right there. They were to reverence the ark of the covenant. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God representing that God was in their midst and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it, and then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. They'd never been here. God hadn't allowed them to come. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits, that's over a half mile, between you and the ark. Do not go near it. And now we find a series of messages here. The first one is Joshua talking to the people. He says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. You need to mark that verse. Mark that verse in your Bible, that the Lord will do amazing things among you. First, they were to consecrate themselves, to get right with Him, to separate themselves from things in the world and and separate themselves unto God. It's important for us to do that as well because we have a sin nature. And that's why we talk about repentance and confession before God, to come clean before Him. Not to restore our relationship with Him, that's safe, but to restore our fellowship with Him. Because when we sin willfully, we're like Adam. When God shows up, we want to run and hide. We're ashamed. But God wants to restore us. He says, consecrate yourselves. Do you believe that God can do amazing things in your life, or is that just something that He does in other people's lives? God can do amazing things. Jim Von Grimp stood at a swollen river this past year. A difficult, difficult situation, not knowing what to do. I went to his house in the summer 
before he went down to MD Anderson for a series of chemo treatments. Devastating chemo treatments. You see, he had been diagnosed with cancer. And they said it was attached to all of his organs. And they were hoping just to do chemo enough to separate the cancer from the organs so that they could do surgery to give him a little bit more time. The last chemo treatment they told him, or the last scan after his last chemo treatment, they said, there's been no change. But we're going to do surgery anyway to see what we can do. Listen to his story. I developed a lyomyosarcoma last July. I guess I developed it a long time before that, just they diagnosed it then. Went to MD Anderson in Houston, uh, got a diagnosis that was difficult because uh, sarcomas are a very deadly type of cancer. From the start, I just decided that this was kind of a checkpoint in my life to what did I believe and how deep did I believe and how deep did I trust and uh, found an unbelievable peace by believing and turning over to God uh, things that uh, I just couldn't do by myself. I'm a fixer, and so I'm used to solving other people's problems, and this was kind of unusual for me, but, uh, but it was a very important moment in my life that, that I said, I trust God and His plan is my plan. And no matter how de what the depths are, I will not vary from that. I will not worry. I will, I will be positive and believe in God. The verse that kind of that I I, I tried to speak every day while I was in in Houston was the fact that to you've got to believe in the promise to receive the joy. And I guess during this this time period, the period of teaching, we could say you've got to believe in the promise to receive amazing things from God, and you've got to believe every day. And uh, and that little simple phrase, uh, every morning, put a smile on my face no matter wh what I was going through at the time. Went through chemo, went through a uh, surgery. We had four surgeons lined up. Uh, fortunately, at the end, we didn't really have uh, um, to use a couple of the surgeons because the miracle that occurred um, right before my surgery allowed the tumor to only wrap around my kidney, and so instead of having four or five organs that uh, had to have surgery on, I just had one. And, uh, and that was the miracle that occurred, that I woke up and I was healed. I firmly believe that it, it was a miracle from God, help being delivered by people here at Fellowship, other friends that I have. Uh, uh, as you know, I've, I'm a personal real believer in the Fellowship Card Ministry and what that meant to my life. but. Uh, Miracles do occur, and they occurred in me. And five years ago, they occurred in my son, Alan, uh, who was a physician uh, here and now lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee. But he got another cancer, a different type, but with mutations that, uh, again, there was no real good treatment plan for him. And he was uh, went through a lot of struggles. He went through chemo. Uh, he went through stem cell transplant. Um, and in the end, he was basically, the doctors couldn't do anything else for him. Anything else they would have done would have probably ended his life. Between that time and a few weeks later, through the night, counted over a thousand people that were praying for Alan. And uh, they decided to go ahead and take the tumor out so he would be cancer-free for a short period of time because the cancer would come back. If it was alive, there would still be cells in. And when they uh, uh, opened him up, the tumor had died that uh, was you know, on fire on the tests when the doctors uh, released him to go home. So two miracles in our life and uh, you know, one is enough to make you believe, two is enough to really help you understand that the power that God has and the power that prayer has in our lives and uh, it just, I mean, I count myself real lucky to have had two blessings in a five year period two miracles and uh, amazing what God can do and the way that God answers prayer. When you have a serious illness, uh, a life-threatening situation that you're not in control and, and, uh, and you need to, if you haven't already, you, you need to completely give it over 
to God and, and just believe that His plan is the right plan for your life or for the life of one of your loved ones. It's, it's difficult to, to do until you do it. And then it's, it's simple because it, it takes something off of you that you, you can't really bear by yourself. To me, I became, a, a, I don't know, a different type of believer or, or, or more intense. Or, or something happened that was very, very positive in my life when I just turned everything over to God. What an incredible story, huh? I remember Susan calling me the day of the surgery. And she was weeping and she said, it's over, it's over, it's over. I wasn't sure what she meant because that's all she was saying. But she meant that it had been healed. That the surgery didn't take as long as they thought. Now, there are times when God says, no, you know what? You have to go through this and I'm going to bring you home. And we've all experienced that. But we pray, believing and trusting in the sovereignty of God. But at the same time, knowing that if he so chooses, he can do amazing things among us. And trust me, Jim and Susan, in the midst of all that, they felt God leaning down and leaning in and saying, I'm here. I'm here. And it's changed their lives. Seeing what God did. I love what he said. You got to believe in the promise to receive the joy. Well, let's go on. As we walk by faith and trust God's sovereignty, Joshua now says to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass ahead, on ahead of the people. And so they took it up and went ahead of them. They're just doing what they've been told. They're walking toward the water. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. God's not exalting Joshua for his own sake, but he's exalting him so that the people will see that he has a relationship with him like he had with Moses. And who was Moses? Moses was the friend of God. God wanted them to see that he would work through Joshua just as he did with Moses. And he said, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, Go stand in the river. And I can just imagine the priests looking at one another. You can think about those raging flooded waters. Go stand in the river. But that's what they did. And then Joshua says to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Gergesites, Amorites, and Jebusites. Now often the people of the land of Canaan were called Canaanites, but there were different tribes, and he breaks them out for us here. Maybe the Canaanites were the most dominant tribe. I'm not sure, but verse 11, he says, See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. God's presence will lead the way before them as they go into the Jordan. In verse 12, now then choose 12 men from among the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. The river was wide, deep, and swift. And he says it's just going to stop. Verse 14, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them, just like they'd been told. And now the Jordan is at flood stage during all harvest, as we discussed. Yet as soon, immediately, as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. And so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Now let's look at the map for a moment. Remember, this is the area. Let's show you the two places. Here's where they're crossing at the bottom. And that's Adam up at the top. 
that's just 16 miles away. Remember, Israel is a very small country. It'll fit into Florida six times. And so there it was, there at Adam. Uh, the Jabbok River comes in from the east, and there was a town called Zarethan. It was a trade route right through there. Now, here's the deal. Let the Bible say what the Bible says. All right? I've read people trying to figure out how this happened. How did it happen? Don't believe that you have to diminish the supernatural works of God by giving some scientific explanation. Now, one commentator said, well, there are limestone cliffs there at Adam, and those limestone cliffs probably uh, fell into the water and stopped it up. And another one said, uh, well, there was probably an earthquake that stopped the water from flowing downstream. God could do that too, if, how, if that's how he did it. But I want you to look at the particulars of this story so that you see that this was a supernatural event. The event, number one, came to pass as predicted in verses 13 and 15. The timing was exact. When they put their feet in the water, it stopped. The event took place when the river was at flood stage. The wall of water was held in place for many hours, at least long enough for two million people to cross over. And you'll see in a moment the muddy river bottom became dry immediately. There wasn't even a puddle out there. God dried it up so that they could see his glory. And then verse 6, the water returned, or number 6, the water returned immediately when the people had crossed over. In verse 17, the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Let me say it again. Don't diminish the supernatural acts of God by imagining you have to come up with a scientific explanation. Let the Bible say what the Bible says. And trust God because he can do amazing, amazing things. This was a true miracle of God. It was also the end of an era. The wilderness wanderings were over. There would be no more cloud by day or pillar of fire by night. Uh, the manna would stop falling as soon as they celebrated the Passover. They were now in the land that God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Dr. John Walford wrote this. He said, by this great miracle, the crossing of the Jordan River at flood stage by a nation of about 2 million people, God was glorified, Joshua was exalted, Israel was encouraged, and the Canaanites were terrified. <laughs> this was a living God. They didn't serve living gods, but the Israelites did. And they were terrified by what they were hearing and what they were seeing. The question would be this. What would the Israelites do with the incredible gift of God placed in their hands? The gift of land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What would they do with it? Would they be God's image bearers in this land? Or would they squander the opportunity? What would they do with it? This was their time to, to take new ground. We get frustrated with the children of Israel, don't we? We look back and we read and we say, how could they have squandered all that God gave? How, how could they see all the miracles of God and then grumble and complain against him? How could they do that? Well, let's bring it forward a few thousand years. What are we doing with the gift of salvation that God has given us? Are we squandering the opportunity? Are we just standing at the river's edge and doing things on our own? Or are we living in such a way that we are image bearers and, and, and we allow other people to see God working in our lives to do amazing things? It's something for us to think about. Allow God to do amazing things in your life because he has given us an incredible gift. 
And we need to walk closely enough with him that we can hear him say, I'm here. I'm here. Don't let his voice be foreign to you. Hear him speak. Hear his promises. Well, the ride home reminds us, reminds us to trust God to keep his promises because he did and he will. Trust God and follow his commands and trust God to do amazing things among you because he will. He will affirm what we believe. But you got to believe the promise to receive the joy. You know, I used to sing an old song a long time ago. It says, sometimes it's good to look back down to where we've come. We've gained such ground. But joy is not in where we've been. Joy is who's waiting at the end. And we need to fix our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith and run toward him because that's where our hope lies. Would you pray with me for a moment? Would you just ask God to speak his truth into you? Would you just say to him, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me not to doubt, but to place my faith in you. Oh, Lord, help us to know you and to know you more. Let us be challenged by what we see in the book of Joshua as you did amazing things among your people and give us the faith that you can do the same among us. We've got to believe the promise to receive the joy.
stand and sing this with us? And tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to grace to trust you more. Help us to walk by your spirit and trust and obedience to your word. We thank you for this opportunity to sit, to take in your truth and to worship you for who you are and what you have done and to be encouraged by our brothers and sisters in Christ in this place. So as we leave, God, would we be your hands and feet walk in your spirit, shine your light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us, fellowship. Prayer room is open. If you would like prayer this morning, go in peace and love of Christ.